Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services partner for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 230 multinationals by providing them with advisory support, information assets, and consulting services that help inform and power their emerging markets growth strategy. My name is Megan Kelly, and I'm the Senior Associate for Marketing and Communications of Frontier Strategy Group. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different on our podcast. Last week, FSG hosted a rapid response client webinar on U.S.-China trade tensions. Our head of research, Joel Whitaker, and senior analyst for global economics, Ryan Connolly, answered our clients' most pressing questions about NAFTA negotiations, tariffs, and the potential of a trade war. In this episode, we've selected some of the best questions from the presentation, and we'll be sharing some of the key highlights with you. With that said, let's get started with a brief walkthrough of how exactly the U.S. got here. We've been worried at FSG, and I mean, broader than that, a lot of people have been concerned about the the potential for protectionist measures coming from President Trump. Uh, It was a constant sort of call of his during his campaign, and actually Trump has been very consistent about a desire for protectionism for U.S. manufacturing all the way back in the 1980s when we first started talking about this in the context of Japan. So we were very worried about this, and it features heavily in our events to watch, as Joel mentioned, as we'll see in a second. What happened was that we had two different events to watch for this year that really focused on really protectionist threats coming out of the U.S. Uh, We had the risk of a U.S.-China trade war, which, as you've seen, we've sharply increased both likelihood and velocity. We also have the NAFTA exit event. Uh, we know NAFTA negotiations have been ongoing for quite a while and is sort of entering a, a very intense period right now as well. When Trump was elected, he sort of split his policy team between sort of what he called globalists, people who were in favor of a um, sort of more free trade regime, sort of a more standard Republican position, and then the other people who would be called protectionists. And in recent weeks especially, really since the beginning of March, we've seen sort of the rise of the protectionists in sort of the sort of area around Trump and the departure or sort of demotion of the uh, globalists, importantly signaled by the exit of his chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, who was a former Goldman Sachs executive uh, who departed over the steel and aluminum tariffs. So you've had this sort of mixed thing going on for a while. And actually, if you look back over the history of Trump's presidential reign, he's been signaling for a while that he was serious about pursuing protectionism. There were just a lot of doubts whether he would we really pursue it in the way that he's done so far, whether this was a negotiating tactic or, or a proper um, sort of salvo in the opening of a trade war. So you had the beginning of NAFTA negotiations. You had the withdrawal of TPP. Trump, in his first action was related to withdraw from TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And then after that, you had um, him commissioning these studies, both the 232 study through the Department of Commerce, which is what leads to the steel and aluminum tariffs in March of 2018, but those, he's required to commission these studies, which take a long time. Uh, the next study that we have is this 301 study on China IP theft. And the, the 301 study, which was just concluded by the U.S. Trade Representative, is what uh, brings us to the sort of current risk of U.S.-China trade war. The one last thing to note, in addition to the NAFTA negotiation, which I think we're all aware of and can answer questions on, um, you also have the renegotiation of the Korea-U.S. Um, free trade agreement which was concluded last month and was really the first big policy one for the Trump agenda. And that was really sort of a really good signal on what might come in these future negotiations. 
but also a really important point that bolsters Trump's belief that he can win a trade war. Right. It, the chorus is interesting because it actually shows the, the U.S. and the Koreans going from disagreement to agreement on something. And that's part of the cycle that we haven't seen yet uh, in a visible way on the NAFTA negotiations, although they are closing chapters as they go. And uh, certainly not the case on, on U.S.-China, right, where we're highly in, in the we're in the dispute zone still. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think that if you look at what Trump said when he was a candidate, and again early on, he wants to do bilateral trade agreements. He doesn't want to do multilateral trade agreements, and he doesn't want to do WTO process. And the reason for that is actually very, very sound from a negotiating theory perspective. The U.S. is a large economy. It's the largest consumer economy in the world. It's a massive net importer for most countries in the world. And because of its size and the fact that it tends to be a net importer, what that means is it has leverage in these negotiations. But if you do it through a multilateral setting, you get caught up with a lot of side agreements, and you have a different sort of negotiating thing than if you're just directly across the table from a U.S. trade representative, Lighthizer, or from a Donald Trump representing that role. And so uh, I think that the stagnant, the stagnant policy of NAFTA bothered him, whereas Chorus, what they found out with Chorus was that you can really easily ramp up pressure on a bilateral basis. And so I wrote a blog post about this last week where I look at the, the negotiating strategy that I think has been going on. With Chorus, you were sort of stuck, and then what happened was you had the threat of the steel and aluminum tariffs, and that is really, within two weeks of that threat of steel and aluminum tariffs, Korea did not get a temporary exemption, as many other countries did, but really a, a few days after the steel and aluminum tariffs took effect, there was a renegotiated Chorus that really gave the U.S. a lot of concessions. Uh, talk about what is Section 301, and how does it relate to made in China 2025, and why is the Trump administration eager to squelch yeah. the made in China 2025 that is so key to uh, President Xi Jinping's um, uh, objectives? Yeah, so there, there's sort of, there's um, the, the Section 301 report is a special carve-out for the U.S. president to commission studies based on unfair treatment of U.S. firms abroad basically. And so if the, if the Section 301 concludes that, yes, U.S. firms have been unfairly treated abroad, then the president has very vast powers to impose a wide variety of protectionist measures. That can be tariffs uh, or a variety of other things like seizure of property, a reduction in investment. So Lighthizer conducts this Section 301 report and finds two things. Yes, there have been several categories of Chinese actions that have disproportionately affected the ability for U.S. firms to compete both domestically, so both in China and in international markets. And he basically sorts this into four distinct categories. Um, he says that Chinese firms have had, well, the Chinese government has implemented discriminatory licensing requirements on U.S. firms operating in China, which has made it more difficult for them to compete and participate in economic activity in China. Number two, that the Chinese government has been on a purposeful path of acquiring um, IP and intellectual property overseas of U.S. firms. And we're going to tie that back to Made in China 2025 in a second. Um, the third finding of the Section 301 was that um, the Chinese government and Chinese firms have engaged in illegal commercial hacking of U.S. firms, stealing IP and licensing. Again, we're coming back to the tech side in a second. And then fourth, that U.S. firms working in China have had to do forced technology transfers as a price of doing business in China. So all four of these the U.S. Trade Rep says these are clear actions that have 
reduce the um, profitability of U.S. firms operating. Yeah, but it's not just about profitability or level playing field. These all also relate to intellectual property and uh, areas of uh, technology where China has really sees, sees these as a, the next level up in the value chain, uh, but also of strategic importance nationally. And this is where the, the U.S. tariffs imposed on China are really interesting. So if you look at the tariff list, I mean, we Joel distributed that to everybody the other day. Um, they're not targeting the industries that the U.S. has lost. They're not targeting clothing textiles. They're not targeting shoes. They're not targeting things low on the value chain like light manufactured goods. The target list is really the industries of the future. And uh, Lighthizer is very specific about that. I mean, his target list includes things like automated machine tools, aerospace aeronautics equipment, maritime equipment, power equipment. It's the manufacturing base for what you would call Industry 4.0. Um, China has been, and so Lighthizer specifically said, look, China told us what their target goals are in Made in China 2025. We all know that China coordinates their economic policy according to five-year plans or, you know, things like that. Made in China 2025 is their list of industries in which Chinese firms or the Chinese government wants to dominate in 2025. And it's the exact same types of industries that the U.S. wants to dominate and that other developed countries like Germany really want to have the competitive advantage in. And so Lighthizer's list is really not backwards looking. He's not trying to repair the damages of the past. He is trying to really ensure that the U.S. is a strong foothold in these industries of the future. Yeah, and that's a bit distinct from the political rhetoric that also comes from the White House, which is about you know, rallying the base behind this, where they will speak a little bit more to some of the, the legacy uh, versions of these industries and the jobs that uh, people might wish they would come back because um, it resonates well, right? It's very easy to communicate. It's familiar, uh, but the actual tariffs themselves seem uh, much more about the next 10 years than the past 20. Oh, for sure. And when Lighthizer talks, I mean, they're not – Lighthizer's not trying to be coy about his agenda nor about the impact. And so he states, he states basically that he has three goals, um, but he's directly told rooms of CEOs, look, I do not care about firm profitability. He says, that's your concern. It's not my concern. My concern is to protect U.S. jobs, number one. So he is trying to repatriate jobs and these manufactured jobs. He is trying to, number two, ensure that the U.S. has a foothold in these industries of the future that will be important for the future of U.S. economic output and competition. And then number three, he wants to really guarantee the security of the U.S. by not farming out or not having capacity to produce these things. So in U.S. steel and aluminum, I mean, that didn't really target China directly because of a range of other tariffs on those products, but he wants to make sure that the U.S. can produce every single part in the value chain that leads to the you know, production of component parts for you know, advanced medical equipment, um, which is really sadly subject by some of these tariff measures. Um, again, automotive parts, machinery, it goes down to boring devices. It's, it's everything on the list from basically raw materials all the way up to advanced production. Let's come back to the tariffs because there was a there were several questions uh, really asking us to provide a view on whether the threatened tariffs will likely be implemented, and if they are, how long would they be in effect for, and how soon would that happen? Yeah. So in terms of the process here, uh, at, when the tariffs were announced, um, they basically have a 30-day period in which they have to be displayed in the Federal Register for firms to um, comment on. So if there really are specific product categories for which there's not available sources elsewhere right now, um, now is the time for your government relations and lobbying teams to really be active on that list on specific, specific product code. 
Um, but that's a 30-day period. So at this point, there's no reason to suspect that these tariffs will not be implemented with some minor changes when they can be, which is early May. And that's exactly what they did with the steel and aluminum tariffs as well. I mean, they implemented them when they said they would implement them. Um, I think that the duration of these tariffs is really the critical question here, because if we think that this is a short-term protectionist measure that will expire after midterm elections or, you know, maybe expire when the, the eventual WTO suit is settled in nine months to a year, then that might not really change your, your forward-looking business plans. You might just try to cope with inventory shortfalls for a little bit. Um, but we really are of this view that this is going to be a, a permanent shift in, in the landscape. Um, again, because, well, number one, we there's no reason to think that this would stop at midterms. Um, Trump has the authority to implement these measures. Again, I have a mysterious feeling that these measures are, because they're relatively uncontroversial and they do make a lot of sense for, for U.S. producers, they're going to pull pretty well. Number two, uh, is in the lead-up to, to the Trump inauguration, even Hillary Clinton turned against TPP. Right. So there, it's not as if this is only a Republican-Democrat issue. There's actually both sides of the political aisle in the U.S. are less sure about free trade uh, than they've been in, in, in the past. Um, so that's the second thing, and then especially when it's not framed as anti-trade, it's framed as fair trade. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and it's proportional, it's reciprocal, it's it can be defended. Yeah. Um, and, and economists, when when asked about the details, will be able to defend, and they all agree that China's had these issues in the past. Um, so it is certainly going to be an issue. And again, the U.S. Trade Representative wants to implement these with a specific strategic incentive in place, which is to thwart the efforts of Made in China 2025. And so the other day, Xi Jinping gave a speech basically extending an olive branch, offering concessions to Trump to in allow increased exports of U.S. autos, which we know Trump cares deeply about, uh, as well as to you know, liberalize the financial sector, which they were supposed to do back in 2003. And there was basically no interest at the administration to settle on those points. Um, so if you see a negotiation here, which you'll see a round of negotiations happening, I don't think the core of the U.S. trade representative's policy, which is to restrict the imports of these sensitive, important technologies of the future, are going to be a point they're going to settle on. Um, good. So the uh, China market is critically important to the growth um, and in increasingly uh, earnings for a lot of our clients. One China GM uh, from a, a technology firm based here in the U.S. Uh, asked us what sort of steps can be taken to limit the risks of regulatory harassment within China. So beyond tariffs, there are lots of ways to create some pain uh, in ways that can have economic effect and also uh, send some messages back to the counterparts in Washington. Regulatory harassment, how to, how to avoid it? Yeah, I mean, we've already heard some anecdotal feedback that firms are already, I mean, it depends on the industry category, but that, that some firms are already basically being restricted with their access to, um, to shelving for, for product, um, purposely by, by Chinese SOEs. Um, so we're already starting to see some of this regulatory harassment of U.S. firms. Um, the, the main ways that you would try to continue to operate as normally as possible in China is um, sort of the same recommendations that our China analyst, Joseph Jelinek, has been talking about for quite a while. Um, you need to work with locals who understand the business and political culture. You need to make sure that you integrate them as much as possible into your teams. You need to, as much as possible, make sure that you can align 
with uh, the interests of the local Communist Party and Communist Party representatives in doing business. And there's a couple ways you can do that. One way is if you're a technology firm and China's goal is certain technologies for Made in China 2025, you need to help them by aligning and by sharing intellectual property and by doing all those things that, that they want to be doing. That sort of puts you at odds with what the U.S. is trying to do, right? Um, but there, there's little there's little expectation from, from our end right now that you would see the same sort of regulatory harassment from the U.S. for your business operations in China that you would see from your Chinese opposition of business. And, and that kind of pressure is, is not unique to China, right? No. We see a general trend towards governments raising their expectations amongst foreign companies for localization uh, and investment in talent, in technology transfer, uh, in, uh, in manufacturing or sourcing locally. Uh, the, the expectation that you're a bit of a corporate citizen of whatever market you're in and not just whatever market you're from is increasing around the world. Yeah, it, for sure. And we've seen it in the U.S. certainly with Trump talking about, you know, Apple needs to localize production, this recent fight about with Amazon, which may or may not be based upon fundamentals or personality. But there's carrots and sticks. The U.S. tends to do their incentive programs more with carrots yep. uh, for local production. The, the U.S. tax plan was an amazing carrot to incentivize U.S. Uh, building of new investment facilities in the U.S. I don't want to connect it directly to these tariffs because I don't think this process was fully thought out. But the combination of regulatory burdens and new tariffs, if you want to have your supply chain integrated into Asia and then come into the U.S., um, what, what Trump is saying with the tariffs is we're going to make it harder for you to maintain these globalized supply chains because we are going to increase the costs on the import of both raw products, semi-finished products, and completed projects that you want to bring in for U.S. consumption or U.S. finalization, number one. But we're going to help you with the transition by giving you all these incentives to rebuild your, you know, local production facilities in the U.S. for incremental growth. I don't think those two things were connected. Um, I think that's too purposeful to assign to this administration. But together, they do a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that, that's an incentive firms are seeing for for the for the U.S. based firm operating in China. Though, again, try to do what you can to align with local interests. And again, l listen to what the Communist Party officials are telling you. Align with your local teams. Xi Jinping has these three arrows that he talks about a lot. Make sure you're, you know, you're helping with the environmental and regulatory issues. Um, but again, try to advance their, their agenda that's set up by Made in China 2025. Yeah. We had um, another question around uh, the Yuan country manager in uh, Indonesia, uh, where you can imagine the, the dependencies on currency uh, from a consumer products company asked, what's the risk of appreciation of the yuan. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as we're talking about issues of internal alignment across a, you know, a globalized team, um, this is one of those points in which you can really sort of base your initial strategic planning ideas. Um, in the case of a 